Well, tonight we are going to be beginning a new Bible study series, and it was one that I had uh, been prayerfully considering for some time, even before we finished up our uh, study of Second Peter, and uh, it is going to be a study on the life of King David. If you were to ask five Christians to list five of their favorite Bible characters, probably guaranteed that David's going to come up in the list somewhere. Uh, we begin to learn about him in Sunday school and uh, those uh, wonderful stories about the shepherd boy. And of course, you know, who doesn't love seeing the flannel graph of him slaying Goliath, right? So just a, just a wonderful Bible character and a lot to learn from his life story. And so tonight we're going to be looking in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. And we're going to begin this study tonight looking at David, God's chosen man. No Old Testament character had more impact on history than King David did. He was a shepherd, a psalmist, a soldier, and later the sovereign of a nation. And it was through the fulfillment of promises made to David and others that God would bring a savior to the world who would be the king of kings. And that same Savior, the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, is one day going to rule the world as he sits on the throne of David as King of kings and Lord over all. Really, David's story is a testament to the power of God, what God can accomplish in the life of a most unlikely person. Because if you had known David before 1 Samuel chapter 16, chances are you would have never guessed what God was going to do with his life. He would go on to slay a giant, lead armies to victory, and take the nation of Israel to its highest point. But at the same time, his story is also a painful reminder that even the best of us are prone to failure. This man who was a man after God's own heart would also commit adultery, murder, fail to lead his family in the ways of the Lord, and he would leave behind a kingdom that was roiled with strife and turmoil. Overall, David's story is very positive and encouraging, but we can learn from both his victories and his defeats. Because from his humble beginning, David had to learn to trust God through all the ups and downs of life. Whether he was running toward the giant to kill him for defying the armies of God, or whether he was running from his own son, who had rebelled against him as a consequence of David's sin, David had to learn to trust in the Lord his shepherd as he went through the valley of the shadow of death. David found that when he trusted God and obeyed God's commands, God blessed him in extraordinary ways. We first meet David here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. At this time, he's a young man, probably just a teenager, who was all but forgotten by his family. But God had a plan for David's life. And even though David may not have been man's first choice, he was God's chosen man. Look with me at verse number 1, and we'll read down to verse 13, 1 Samuel 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shema to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Number one on your outline, notice with me the direction of God in verse number one. Now Samuel, if you remember, was the last of the judges of Israel. You may remember him better, though, as the son of Hannah, who was dedicated to the Lord even before he was born. And when he was just a little boy, he was brought to the temple uh, where he lived and where he was raised by Eli the priest. He became a great, great prophet and in many ways a successful leader of Israel. But toward the end of his life, the people of Israel came to him and demanded a king to rule over them. They saw Samuel's sons and didn't like what they saw. They did not want his sons ruling over them. They wanted a king like all the other nations around them. Samuel was upset. He went to the Lord about this and the Lord said, No, do what they said and anoint a king. They weren't content to be a theocracy ruled by God's appointed men. Instead, they wanted to be like everybody else. So God led Samuel to anoint Saul to be the first king of Israel. And for a time, Saul ruled very well. He had a very good beginning. But it wasn't long before he began to drift from the Lord. He became increasingly selfish and tyrannical. The final straw came in 1 Samuel chapter 15, right before the events that we just read. When God commanded Saul to destroy the Amalekites, but Saul did not obey. He saved the best of the livestock and he saved King Agag alive. 
Samuel came down and confronted Saul with his disobedience and pronounced God's judgment on him. And the judgment was that God rejected Saul from being king because of Saul's rebellion. 1 Samuel 15, look at verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. That was a sad day for Israel and for Samuel. Samuel had high hopes for Saul, but he was disappointed. Samuel genuinely wanted the best for the nation. He genuinely wanted the best for Saul. And so it grieved him to see the nation flounder and suffer because of the poor leadership of King Saul. And maybe he took it a little personally. After all, He anointed him, and this was the man that was going to be taking his place. The people had previously rejected him, and now God had rejected the king that he had anointed. And so when we come to 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 1, we find Samuel mourning because of the rebellion and the rejection of King Saul. God asked him a question, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? You know, there's a time for mourning. But we have to be careful that we do not allow that, that grief to carry on too long and cross over into doubt and discontentment. At some point, we have to understand that whatever has happened is a part of God's plan and it's going to be okay. And so it was in this case that Saul, Samuel had been mourning for Saul and God said, how long are you going to keep, keep mourning? See, God already had a solution in mind. He already found a man who would be Saul's replacement. So the Lord directs Samuel, told him to stop mourning and move on. And he gave him some specific instructions. He told him to, uh, to go to Bethlehem and anoint one of the sons of a man named Jesse to be the next king. Now, look at verse number one. I want you to notice a phrase that God used here. He said, I have provided me a king among his sons. The word provided there is very interesting. It comes from a root word that means to look for or to see. In fact, the same word is used down in verse number seven three times. Look at verse seven again. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth, that's that same word, not as man seeth, for man looketh, that's the same word again, on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh, there it is again, on the heart. The idea of the providing here is not just, you know, just giving someone something but searching out for, looking diligently for something, and then finding it. God had been looking for and had found the right man for the job of being the next king of Israel. And even though he was a young man, David had already distinguished himself as a godly man of character. Understand that still to this day, 
God is looking for people who will serve him and who will love him and who will obey him. God is looking for people that he can work through in powerful ways. First, or rather, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God is still looking for people that he can use. So when God looks at your life, what does he see? Does he see someone who's willing to trust him? Does he see someone who's willing to obey? Does he see the kind of person that he knows that a short while later would be willing to go down in the valley and fight a giant? Does he see that kind of a person in you and me? Is our heart perfect toward the Lord? Are we a person after God's own heart through whom God can work his will? Because that is what God saw in David. Keep your finger here because we'll come right back to 1 Samuel 16. But I want you to see in Acts chapter 13 a verse of Scripture that's talking about this very instance. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That's what God saw in David. Now let's notice, secondly, the doubt of Samuel. The doubt of Samuel from verses 2 through 5. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Samuel had his doubts. Mainly he was afraid that if Saul got word of what he was doing, Saul would kill him. And this was a justified fear, we would say. There was a real danger here because Saul, even at this point, even even though he hadn't got as bad as he would get, he was still pretty bad. Before this, even, uh, he, had, he had shown tendencies to really care less about the lives of other people if they got in his way. Saul had become murderously prideful, and he would have interpreted Samuel's actions as an act of treason. Look, we understand in our country that people in power don't like it when people threaten their power, right? And they will do whatever they have to do to get rid of the threat. Well, Samuel did not have the benefit of living in a constitutional republic. And so if Saul wanted to kill him, all Saul had to do was speak the word. So he was he was afraid that if word got out, his life would be uh, would be over. But again, we see that God already had a solution in mind. God instructed Samuel to take a heifer with him and announced that he was going to be conducting a sacrifice in Bethlehem. And this would give him legitimate cover for the other job that he was going there to do. Now, some might misinterpret this as deception, but in 
Samuel did not lie about anything and he didn't lead people to believe anything that was untrue. Now, at the same time, he didn't post on Facebook, hey, I'm going down to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. You know, There were some things that he kept secret and that was a wise thing to do. It's often unwise to divulge too much information. Proverbs 29.11 says, a wise, or rather, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. And ultimately, it comes down to this. God had a plan, and even though Samuel was afraid, the solution for our fear and doubts is to have faith in God and his word and just obey his commandments. If God says do it, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what you feel, do it. That's how we overcome our fear, by having faith in God and obeying. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And so after he received those further instructions from the Lord, Samuel went ahead and made his way down to Bethlehem. And his arrival there caused quite a stir. The leaders of the town were afraid. It says they trembled. And they came to him with one question. Comest thou peaceably? Look, they were aware of current events. They knew of the split between Samuel and Saul. And they didn't want to be caught up in the middle of any, any kind of a scandal that would cause them their lives. And so Samuel responds as he was instructed by the Lord, telling them that he was coming peaceably and, and calling the, the city to a ceremony where they would sacrifice to the Lord. And specifically, he called Jesse to come with his sons. And it says that he sanctified Jesse and his sons to come to this, this special occasion. Now, it's hard for us because we know so much about Bethlehem. We just assume that it was, you know, obviously a very important city. But actually, in David's day, it was not. It was, it was the Rutledge of Judah, okay? The only claim to fame that Bethlehem had up to this point was that Rachel was buried there. That's it. But even then, it was just a tiny little town, not a lot of inhabitants. It wasn't a big center of trade. It wasn't at, you know, any major crossroads where people would come through. It was just an out-of-the-way country kind of a place. In fact, when we look in uh, Joshua chapter 15, there's a list of important cities in the, the uh, tribe of Judah. Bethlehem's not even on that list. It literally was not even on the map yet. That was Bethlehem. But you know, after this, it would all change. It would become known as the city of David. And many years later, the king of kings would be born there who would bring deliverance from a wicked tyrant, not just to one city or one nation, but to the whole world. What did the angels declare to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 11? For unto you is born this day in the city David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Rewind a few hundred more years and let's go back to David's time and understand that for the town of Bethlehem, this was, this was something. This was special. This was not an ordinary occasion. And so everybody, well, almost everybody, comes to this 
big sacrifice and ceremony. And we notice next from verses 6 through 10 the disappointing search that took place. In verse 6, it says, It came to pass when they were come, that is speaking of Jesse and the seven brothers of David, that he, that is Samuel, looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so Jesse and his sons arrived here, and, and Samuel immediately thought, and he found his man in the oldest son of Jesse, Eliab. Apparently he was something to look at. Apparently he, uh, his countenance was favorable. His stature was impressive. And so Samuel made a judgment call based on appearances only. And not surprisingly, that call was the wrong call. He saw him and said, oh, this has got to be the guy. This is it. I mean, if ever anybody looked like a king, that guy looks like a king. You know, Samuel's not alone in judging people and circumstances by appearances only. In fact, it's a habit of human nature. We have an expression, don't judge a book by its cover, which we never follow. Dude, we judge the book by its cover. And publishers know that. That's why they make the covers pretty. We tend to jump to conclusions based on superficial and insufficient evidence. We answer matters before we fully heard it. And that is a folly and a shame to us. Jesus said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Samuel had forgotten a lesson that he should have learned from King Saul. Remember, King Saul looked kingly. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. And, and so he, that wasn't why he was anointed, but, but it was a feature of his that was noted in Scripture. And that didn't turn out very well in the end, did it? And so the Lord admonishes Samuel in verse number 7. And this is one of those jewels of Scripture. 1 Samuel 16, verse number 7, that, that I would really encourage you to add that to the collection of those words of God that you have hidden in your heart. The Lord said to him, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now this is, this is not an excuse to ignore our outward appearance, as some would try to construe it. We've got to keep this in the context here. The outside looked good, but God said there's something more important. It's an instruction to prioritize the internal things, the matters of the heart that cannot be seen, but determine the outcome of one's life. What is on the inside is most important. It's not that the outside is unimportant. There's an importance there. But what is most important is what's on the inside. As Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You can keep the outside as spotless as you possibly can, but if your heart isn't right, your life will not be right. Jesus said of the Pharisees that they're, they make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside it's dirty, it's filthy. He said you're, you're like whitewashed graves that appear beautiful on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. Prioritize the inside, prioritize the things of the heart. 
Now, we're not told specifically what God saw in Eliab that made God pass over him, or maybe there was something God was looking for and did not see in Eliab. But whatever it was, whatever it was that God was looking for, it was something that wasn't visible on the outside. Something you couldn't see with the human eye. He may have been tall, he may have been good looking, but that did not guarantee that he would be the kind of man who would lead God's way. Samuel was disappointed ultimately because he was looking only at the physical. And we will always be disappointed when we focus on the physical. When material things and when um, temporary uh, things of this world are the focus of our life, we're going to be fr frustrated. We're going to be disappointed. We need to learn to look at the world the way that God looks at the world. That is to look beyond the physical, which is temporary and can be deceiving. We need to evaluate people and circumstances with a spiritual perspective. We need to see the invisible with the eye of faith because that is where we will find the things that matter for eternity. And so God said, nope, not Eliab. So Jesse called son number two, Benadab. God said, nope. Then Shema, God said, uh-uh. That's, that's in the King James, you see it right? Uh-uh. And slowly, all seven of the brothers marched before, and God said no to every one of them. And finally, Samuel turned to Jesse, and he said, are these all your kids? So notice with me number four now, the declaration of God. Verse 11, Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? Now he had been told to bring his sons not some of them, but bring your sons. But now Samuel's a little bit suspicious because God told him that he would, be, he would anoint a king from the sons of Jesse. He's just gone through the whole list of all of them that were there and God said no to every one of them. So now he's suspicious. There must be another one somewhere. So he asks. And Jesse replies... There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Now, isn't it curious that David had not already been summoned to join the family for this sacrifice? Why was he left out? Like I said, this was not something that happened every day in Bethlehem. The prophet didn't come and offer a sacrifice and call people together and tell your dad, hey, get your sons and come. Why was he left out? Why did Jesse... Uh, with him being singled out for this special purpose, especially, could he not have found someone else to watch the sheep for a couple of hours so that David could join him, and Samuel, for the ceremony? I think this is a very strong indication of the opinion that his family had of him. He was the youngest. How many youngest children we got in here? Oh, we feel it, don't we? We feel it. Looked down on, despised, always blamed for everybody else's mistakes, you know. Isn't that right? Some of you oldest children are like, Psh. how many middle children we have here? All right, bless your heart. I'm, I'm not, you've got the worst of both worlds. But here he was, the youngest son, and that's, that's what his, his dad said. 
There remaineth yet the youngest. Like, well, yeah, the youngest one. And especially in Bible times, all kidding aside, being the youngest in the family was really considered a place of low stature. He was given a lowly task of tending the sheep while the rest of the family got to go to the sacrifice. Now, whatever the motive was, it is evident that David's father didn't think his presence was important enough to include him. We can at least conclude that. He may have justified it and said, no, 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 we really need David to watch the sheep. Well, that meant that you think thought watching the sheep was more important than him attending, even though he'd been called. So Samuel says, well, go get him. And he does so with some urgency there. He says, we're not going to sit down until you get him and come back here. So he sends him away to get him. And when David arrived, Samuel was no longer disappointed. I like how he's described, verse 12. They brought him in. Now he was ready and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look at. But more importantly, David was God's chosen man. Yeah, he was, he was nice to look at. But there was something more important than that. He was the one that God had picked. And so when Samuel saw David, God declared, verse number 12, Arise, anoint him for this is he. Samuel wasted no more time. He took that horn of oil and anointed him, which was a ceremonial thing they did to indicate that someone was being sanctified for a specific purpose. Uh, go back in uh, Old Testament law, you see how that the priests were anointed with oil as well. It was a very, uh, very symbolic thing that, that uh, indicated that they were um, chosen by God and, and God was going to use them in a special way. And notice he did it right in the middle of the, his brethren. It says, anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Now, things weren't already a little tense between David and his seven older brothers. They got tense pretty quick after this, I am, I am certain. Because every one of them just had Samuel look at him and go, mm, no, not you. And now there's their little brother being chosen to be the next king. We know later when David came down to the battle, spoke with his brothers, they were pretty rude to him. There was some tension there. His brothers probably didn't like it. His father may have even been bothered by it. I mean, think about that as the dad. But you know, that none of that even mattered because God had found his man. David. Now, now look at this from the perspective of Samuel, first of all. He came down with a specific task. He's trying to find the man that God wants him to find to anoint. He's been frustrated so far because he, he mistakenly thought Eliab was going to be it, and then all these brothers come through. But finally, he gets to David, and God says, this is he. When he followed the Lord, when he waited on the Lord, God guided him into the right decision. And as we go through life, we have to apply the same principle. We cannot make our decisions based on appearances, superficial things, our feelings. We have to follow the instructions of God's word. And when we follow God, he will guide us into the right decisions. 
but failing to wait on God and making decisions based on our limited understanding always results in frustration and disappointment. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Verse 13 states that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And from that day on, David would see God do great things in his life. Powerful things, we would say. But none of that would have happened if David had not been the kind of man that God was looking for. We don't know exactly how old David was at this time. Our best guess is between 16 and 18 years old. And I know the tendency is to think of 16, 17, 18-year-olds as, as kids. But you know, throughout history, you look at what people that age have done. I think about boys in the Civil War lying about their age so they can go fight. I think about World War I, World War II. You know, the vast majority of the, the men who died in those conflicts were 21 and under. So I didn't say God's chosen boy, God's chosen man. Because he was already a man after God's own heart. But if he hadn't been doing what he was supposed to be doing, and if he hadn't been in the place he was supposed to be this very day, on this very instant, things could have been different. Suppose if on this day, David decided, you know what? I have been watching these stinking sheep day after day after day after day. I need a break. They'll be fine. I'm just going to go crawl up in this cave over here and sleep for a couple hours and take a good nap. What if he had done that? And what if while he was up there shirking his duty, his father had come down and found the sheep all alone and David nowhere to be seen and turned around and gone back to the city and said, I can't find him. I don't know where he is. Now, I know that's speculation. But do you understand that the reason that God picked David because he was the kind of man that God wanted to pick. He was a man after God's own heart. And if he hadn't been in his place when they came to find him, he might have missed out on God's best. God is looking for the same kind of people today. People after his own heart through whom he can do his will. People who are willing to obey and walk by faith so that God's will would be done through them. Are you that kind of a person? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of David. And even at his humble beginnings, Lord, it was apparent that, that he was the kind of, kind of man that you knew you could use. Even though he was the unlikely choice, and really the last choice, literally, he was the one that you picked. Lord, help us not to judge things by 
superficial appearances. Help us, Lord, not to jump to conclusions. Help us to follow your instructions and not give in to our fears. And above all else, help us to be the kind of people who follow you, who obey you, and through whom your will is accomplished. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.